0: Hello everyone, my name is Wesley Levisay from the History of the Second World War podcast. Join me on a journey through the most destructive conflict in human history, a journey that will take us not just through the famous campaigns and cataclysmic battles, but also to the lesser well-known corners of the war that touched millions all over the world, as we try and answer not just the questions of what and where, but how and why. You can find History of the Second World War on all major podcast platforms or at history of the Second world War. Com.
1: History That Doesn't Suck is a bi-weekly podcast delivering a legit, seriously researched, hard-hitting survey of American history through entertaining stories. If you'd like to support HTDS or enjoy bonus content, please consider giving at patreon.com forward slash history that doesn't suck. Welcome to History That Doesn't Suck. I'm your professor, Greg Jackson, and welcome to Historians of the Roundtable. We're trying something out here. Uh, We're going to dive a little deeper into the last two episodes. Uh, So today, that means uh, episode 16, The Founding Fractures, and episode 17,
2: Death of the Nation's Father. Death of the Nation's
1: Father. (laughs) I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh,
3: Are you going to make it, Greg?
1: I make no promises. Let's get that out right now
2: we definitely killed your bromance. We we know it was hard.
1: George is my boy, all right? So, yeah, we're going to we're going to basically go through the scripts, um uh, bring out some of the fun things that we, you know, there are so many cool facts that, geez, just don't make it into the script. They either don't fit with the main narrative well enough. It's too much of a tirade. Here we can tirade, so we may do a little bit of that. We might also get a little bit lost on uh, Josh's dating life, but you know, <laughs> we'll just we'll just
2: see where things go. Uh, no, I can promise you that will <laughs> definitely not be a topic for a discussion. <laughs> but no, like Greg said, we're here is a place where we can basically go anywhere we want with facts dates we're not structured at all so you may get specifics in the episode and then again we may just be talking about who knows what
1: this is something that's been missing from our lives i mean the uh i love what we're doing i love the scripted i mean basically book that is the the usual history doesn't suck episode and we're definitely gonna keep things that way uh, today's episode is really more of a taste. Uh, let's be blunt. We, we want you to enjoy this and decide that you want to support the podcast. So, uh, of course the main thing's always free, uh, because we're passionate about educating the world. But you know, for those of you who are thinking, geez, I want more, I want to go a little bit deeper. Well, Hey, here it is. So with no further ado, uh, do we want to kind of just look in on 16? Yeah, I was going
2: to say, uh, we can start off with, George's inauguration.
1: Okay, but I do want to point out that CL has said like nothing. I know. And
2: what the hell, CL? You need to. Sorry, you 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 guys. The top researcher on the podcast.
3: I know you put a microphone in front of me, and I swear I shut up. I promise. When we're recording episodes, they can't get me to shut up. It's a little ridiculous.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, that awkward silence. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So. all right, so uh, let, let's just go ahead and jump in then, shall we?
3: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Great. I guess you're waiting for me to jump in. Fine. No, I was going to uh, say,
2: can you imagine this day? Uh, I, as we're going through when we were recording this, I was just thinking, I try to place myself in that situation. I would have been the passerbyer, right? I would have been like in the crowd. Sure. His carriage, is go- George's carriage is going, right? Right. And uh,
1: I mean, you're at most, what, maybe maybe a veteran at most. At most. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're, chances are slim that we're important people. <laughs>
3: <laughs> For <Right>? sure. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll
2: just, we'll, let's all go ahead and embrace that. And clearly, like, you know who George is, who doesn't, who right? Do, oh, yeah. But you probably haven't met him, I, w- I would assume, right? Like, yeah, you're a common soldier, you're not walking up to his, well, his I 10 mean,
1: quarters you and know, like, what's up, George? But, but yes and no, in, in a way. I mean... Yeah, you probably haven't met them. There are, you know... Oh, by the way, we, we talked about this after after the Q&A. Not that the Q&A wasn't done well, but uh, these sorts of episodes, a little bit looser, um, and maybe this is me being the over-paranoid, this is what's imbued in me going through the PhD process and being an, uh, an academic... I always feel a little more jittery when I'm talking without my books and citations right in front <laughs> right. of me. So everything, just little little grain of salt. Um,
3: feel free to fact check y- us. We might we might misstate are extrapolating, couple things. right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, are we going to state? Probably not. Honestly, but I just feel the need <laughs> to like put that out there. I I don't have four different sources to footnote every sentence like I do with you know our usual episodes. Right. I, might, I might have a problem with footnoting, guys. Okay. It's it's a and little fact checking. Yeah, script, yeah. I, I know. I'm a little extreme. Anyhow, where were we before? A uh,
2: common veteran that's just watching oh, yeah, go by.
1: So, um, true. Chances are, it, oh, right. This is the fact that led me on that whole, you know, uh, Tangent. Ton, yes. I wasn't <laughs> 1790 population. We're at about 3 million, get, give or take, give or take, about 3 million Americans across the 13 states at this point. And, you know, obviously, George has not shaken hands with every freaking American, right? That that hasn't happened. Of course. But at the same time, this is such a smaller republic. I mean, you know, it, he's not so inaccessible like today. You can't freaking saunter up to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and just go chill with the president today. Whereas, you know, let's see, we're in episode
3: 16. 16, yeah.
1: We talked about George's, well, I mean, it's kind of in both episodes, right? Uh, anyhow, we, we the the people have heard about George's levees. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: They start in this episode. Right.
1: Okay. Whew. They're all starting to mix. Um, so, you know, this is a time where a well-dressed dude can just stroll on up to George's place, you know?
3: Yeah, it well, the leves day are published in the papers. Right. Everyone's welcome.
1: So, and obviously those haven't even happened yet. I mean, he's getting inaugurated. But my point is simply that this is this is a time where the president is way more accessible. I mean, we live in Utah. The population of the state is about three million. So it's about the same population in this state as was the 13 states when America first began. Right. Our governor is way less. <laughs> Suddenly, I feel like I'm like getting political.
2: Not accessible.
1: This is no comment in either way uh, Governor Herbert. But yeah, he's he's just way less accessible. It's the 21st century. He has bodyguards, you know. He um there are safety concerns, protocols, things that have been established. That's not the case for George today. Yeah. So, anyhow. Chance chance you've, you know, shaken hands Shaking with hands with, with the tall Virginian with no almost no teeth. No teeth by the end of the presidency, but
2: yeah. Poor George. My yeah. gosh. And this might be, this is something that popped in my mind as you just said that yeah. when we never said this in the podcast. I, it maybe was a, uh, bonus that we put in the extra tidbits, but the four years prior and correct me on the years here, but the four years prior were like the calmest, happiest years for George before he gets inaugurated at least see, I'll
1: jump yeah. in.
3: Yeah, that's that's probably pretty accurate, at least according to his family members that are with him at Mount Vernon and observing him.
1: His stepson? Well, yeah, his step grandson. Excuse me. Yes, it's yeah. his
3: step grandkids that live with them, and that well, he's got a lot of nieces and nephews that come and go, and he's got a lot of his personal secretary Tobias Lear is with him, and oh my goodness, they're all just like, yeah, if this guy could have just been a Virginia planter his whole life, he would have been a very happy man.
1: Now, I, I believe them. At the same time, I do think it's fair to just point out their perspective. That was probably the most awesome time for them getting to hang out with George, oh, who's yeah. kind of a legend beyond being step-grandpa, basically grandpa, you Grand, know? Grandpa
2: and yeah. the eight years prior, all the stuff that he did, right?
1: Yeah. So he's, it's like, honestly, it's like living with a with a demigod in terms of what his reputation is, how he's viewed. You know, so, so here's this person that's intimately in their lives and yet at the same time, you know,
3: it's so, it's so huge. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And not just large in stature in the actual physical way that George is for the, for the period. But anyhow, I think it was probably the best of times to get a little, you know, Charles Dickens there, um, for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe kind of put their own experience onto George, that's all I'm saying. I think it probably was the best time of his life. But it
3: was certainly a very, very happy and peaceful time when Yeah, he wasn't fighting a war <laughs> or running a country. I just
2: uh,
1: Or fighting parties.
2: I continually try to put myself in the positions of these people we're depicting in the podcast. And I just you can you just picture George after those like four or five years of calm, right? And then he's like, Sigh. I just got elected as president. I, I don't think it was a thing where it was like I just got elected as president. No. It no. was, you know, and we talk about this in the episode like it's a burden. You can you can tell by the way he's like this guy, this guy has charged into battle and the way he, that he's like kind of shaking giving his first speech after the inauguration is like it's a big deal to him. It, it, it's it's yeah, a freaky yeah. thing.
1: Well, yeah. and he he basically says that. I mean, geez, I wish I could remember it word for word, but at one point when um <laughs> Jefferson's you know, editor-in-chief hitman uh, for is talking mad crap about George. George basically says to, to Thomas, Hey, I, I don't want to be here. Well, he, he actually is really irate as he says this. So he doesn't say it all nice and calm as much as we know George for being a man who keeps his temper in check. And he basically makes that point. He's going off on how I would rather be on my freaking farm. That's what I want to be doing right now. I get the impression Thomas is kind of like, yeah yeah right but <laughs> nonetheless, if we're gonna take george's word, which i I tend to, yeah he's kind of said it himself
3: yeah yeah he didn't he didn't sign up for it, which was that in eighteen
2: <laughs> <laughs> when when we relinquish uh to John Adams the presidency from George Is that 18?
1: well, we mention as we I'll mention this little tidbit. If it's in the next
2: episode, you guys will hear it. Um, I love the little uh, letter that Adams writes to his wife. It's an 18. It's an 18? Yeah. Okay. Where he's just, (laughs) I'm completely paraphrasing this, but basically he's like, the moment George gets relinquished from his presidency, the relief on his face, and George just stares at him basically like... You don't even know. (laughs) You don't even know what's coming.
3: And the funny thing is, is that Adams was Washington's vice president. John kind of knows what George went through. He watched it from a distance, mind.
2: He was the vice president, so he knows what doing nothing's like. From an ice cold distance, yeah.
3: (laughs) You go sit with the Senate. I'm going to run the country. See you later.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, uh, anything else you want to say here on the... um, or rather be inspired by, I guess, the, the inauguration. I don't know that we've really even talked that much about the inauguration per se itself. The Bible's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I find it interesting. I know we talked about it in the Q&A, but his, you know, being a deist and, uh, I don't know, I just always picture what's going in his head. What what right. what's, what's he thinking, right? Like, he's putting his hand on the Bible? And as we talked about, he clearly did not say what common myths thinks he says. Right. Sure. But I still think... Uh, I, th- uh, I think he has a reverence
1: for... That's him. what I, that's kind of what I'm feeling, yeah. is
2: that mm-hmm. although he may not believe, per se, in a specific religion, he, there's a reverence for... He recognizes some things that he's like, ah, maybe the hand of the divine was in certain things that went right. down.
1: Right, right. I mean, you know, I think that, geez, when it comes to religion and politics, honestly, often straight, hard lines... They fit some people, no question, right? Someone considers themselves a, a strict Catholic, a, you know, strict, uh, strict Mormon. Here we are in Utah, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever the case may be, but the majority, or at least a significant number of people, I think, don't always fit into a clean category. You know, they, they certainly identify with one system, but there's there's nuance in their life. I mean, we're complicated beings. That's that's part of being human. And, so sure, does George fit into the deist camp? Yeah, but I don't know if it's mutually exclusive with right. any sort of, you know, appreciation for, uh, love of, even maybe some sort of indescript f- um, feeling for yeah, yeah. for for larger Christianity. I mean, I I get the impression that push comes to shove, I think he ad- he definitely identifies in some, maybe in a less traditional way, but in a way.
2: Oh yeah,
3: yeah, I, yeah. I'd agree with that.
1: So
2: anyway, I just yeah. thought that'd be interesting Yeah. for your first time, you know, and during the inauguration, put his hand on the Bible and the thoughts going through his head. That's all.
1: Um, let's talk about his suit.
4: Oh, let's okay, do. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah.
1: See, I'll, come on. Let's, let's get you the, to talk the more. The
3: broadcloth suit. <laughs>
1: there it is. Oh my goodness. That sounds like a line at, um, I don't even know. All these stores are out of business now. Is JCPenney J. still a thing? No. <laughs> no, I, don't I, don't
3: no, I think you mean Nordstrom.
1: Sure, sure. As you can tell, I shop at these these sorts of places. That's right, awesome. Right. Yep. I do. I'm, Good. A, I'm a
3: shopper. Good. I and can, uh, actually, I love to sew, and so fabric is my thing. Okay,
1: all uh, All you.
3: <laughs> sure. So the Hartford broadcloth suit that actually he and John are wearing the same suit and it matches exactly except that it has different buttons on George's than it does on John's. So that's kind of fun. That's cute. Yeah, I know. Very, <laughs> very family portrait.
1: Right. Like awkward family portrait.
3: Yeah. Very awkward family portrait. I'm, I'm, they didn't have pictures back then, thank goodness. Um, yeah, anyway. and
1: thankfully they, you know, the National Gazette didn't run a who wore it best the next day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right.
3: <but laughs> That would have been pretty awful. I'm pretty sure George would have won that contest. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I don't think his rotundity was going to c- carry the day, given the way people mocked his, right? I mean, obviously, I'm pulling from the historical mockery of him right there, in case anyone's missing that. Um, <laughs> right. I'm not you, you I'm not just trying to that. bag on, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, if someone wants to think, I,
2: no, I'm not going to take credit for that. <laughs> yeah. But for the era, yeah. he was trying to, you know, he's dressed to the nines.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. No, but it's kind of amazing that they came up with American fabric, which we talked about in the episode, didn't we? Yeah. But we it's kind of amazing yeah. that they came up with American fabric well, we,
1: like, at all. Touched on it just barely. Yeah. yeah we just, hinted just a little bit a brief, because, yes, it because
3: the American Industrial Revolution is about to right. take off, but it We're hasn't taken off that yet. And soon,
1: but yeah, not yet. Sorry, uh, go ahead.
3: Oh no, you're fine. Um, so I don't know. Most people at this time are literally spinning their own thread and weaving their own cloth and making their own clothes.
1: Like like Ciel does.
3: I do not spin <laughs> my own thread or make my own cloth. I shop for my fabric online, and when it comes, I buy my patterns and I sew my clothes. But actually, I don't sew my own clothes. I sew clothes for my kids. So but. here's
1: the real question. Can you make a, uh, you know... Reproduction of of George's suit because that would just be awesome, you know. Maybe <laughs> that would actually that'd be cool.
3: Maybe I that that would be pushing my skills that's, to the very That's limit. what I
1: think you should you should be sending your boy to school on right there.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah. He, doesn't he wouldn't get picked so on at all. Anymore. No,
1: that that would not result in any any harassing.
3: No, not at all. No, when he needed a new suit. We just went to Macy's,
1: right? Bought. Not J.C. Penney's, which apparently is no, no longer, no longer a thing. Yeah, yeah.
3: No, but it's kind of amazing that these two guys found these suits and had them made for the occasion, and right. found American fabric to do it with.
1: Because again, I mean, industrialization—we don't really even consider it having. Start. It's it's about to. It's, it's start. it's about to
3: break wide open. It's about to it start starting. Yeah,
1: is essentially how I how I'd put it in 1789. Um, because this is such an agrarian world. Yes. I mean, and of course that's where I found it. Uh, I think we nailed it, you know, high five team, but it's almost a little difficult even to explain some of the differences between Hamilton and Jefferson's views because it's kind of like Northern agrarian and Southern agrarian it's less agrarian agrarian in
2: the North. Right. You know, I mean, and honestly, it's, it's different crops, of course, and so forth, but that's a perfect segue if, to jump to the two other basically main people in episode 16. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Or we can continue to talk no. about the suit.
1: Please, let's no, not keep talking
3: about the suit and my inability to make it.
1: <sighs> eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love... At these prices? Oh, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
4: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more, And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Oh, uh, what what can we even say about Alex and, uh, and Jefferson? Oh Jeez,
1: they,
3: so, they really hate each other.
2: You know, something I do want to
1: make clear, in case there's any doubt in anyone's mind out there i i deeply respect both of these dudes they are just so incredibly different so even as we're highlighting the fractious relationship between them and i think that's important to do uh, it's important to do tripping over my own tongue there partly because and i think i think this is a little unfortunate and can be unhealthy we tend to lump the founding fathers into this big camp and we talk about the, the founding fathers believed dot 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 the really
3: a few of them believed that. <laughs> exactly. Some others wildly disagreed. Uh, you yeah. literally
2: just got done talking on a rant about boxing up somebody in their – I mean, that was about beliefs, but literally right. just a blanket statement. I'm like, well, clearly all of them believed blank.
1: Right. I mean, you know, Josh, see, I think you've probably heard me joke sometimes as we're preparing stuff. I mean, in, in my opinion, I think the only thing that we can say they agreed on is that the crown could go screw itself. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, and,
1: and that's and that's about it. You know, I mean, <laughs> they're done.
3: Yeah, and then after that, how are we going to set up a new nation? What's it going to look like? What kind of government should we have? Where should our focus be? All of that. It, it, it's very much up to individual interpretation, and they, they don't always agree. And yeah, yeah, Alexander and Thomas don't agree with how to set up the new United States of America. They They just don't understand one another.
1: No, and I mean, they just... They are both so convinced they are right. Yes. Uh, Which, again, though, you know, think about what the whole revolution having even happened. What type of personality does it take to lead through a a freaking war? Right. You know? Yeah, it's going to take some strong-headed, I-don't-take-no-for-an-answer individuals. And I know I touched on this a little bit. I think it was in episode 16. Anyhow, you know, they do both bring very different wonderful things to the revolution jeez jefferson's more philosophical mind gives us a goodness how many americans quote jefferson without even realizing they're quoting American, jefferson yeah right. right like all the friggin time uh, whereas jeez without alex's financial plan whew.
3: I I, I don't think we would have made it. Yeah. It got
2: off the ground probably. No,
1: it'd be an entirely, I mean, you know, counterfactual history always gets messy, but I can say the trajectory is 180 degrees different from where the United States ended up going.
2: Oh, easily. And I always think, sorry, I'm continually putting myself in these uh, places we've depicted, but talking about being in the room where it happens, talking a little, (laughs) nice,
1: nice (laughs) Lin-Manuel reference there. Yeah.
2: Um. Not we're not sponsored by them or anything. No.
1: But if you yeah. To yeah sponsor, but please, if
2: you mean, want by all means. No, I'm thinking about and actually it's another Hamilton reference. Um, where they're in the moment in the room, boozing it up, coming to a where they decide to move the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Oh right. Oh, mm-hmm. who yeah. Who would love to be in that room and know what oh. went down? Right. Right. Yes. To be a fly on that wall. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, I think. These guys had such a complex... I'm obviously just going clear off imagination here, but... Well, you have to. There's no no records. There's no records. That's how a good
1: behind-closed-doors deal works. There are no No. records. (laughs) They did it right.
2: I, I, for some reason, picture this moment of, like, Alex, you know, they're pouring wine, and they both have, you know, a cup of wine, and they pour another one. And inadvertently, they're almost like game a uh, gaming at each other like oh you think you can drink more than right. me? you know <laughs> like clearly there's there's a complex going on right where they're like yeah. trying to up each other while they're coming to an agreement about sure you know what's going on
1: oh i could definitely see that alex would be overt about it while thomas would have to play like i'm not even noticing yeah, that you're coy, right? drinking yeah. that much yeah
3: he was the ultimate politician at hiding what he really thought oh yeah not playing his cards too so soon skilled yeah
1: You know, I think I see Thomas more out-culturing. That that would be, I think, the route he'd go. You know, as the Madeira is getting poured, he'd be sure to let everyone know that this bottle comes from France. Oh, yes, I picked this up while I was with, you know, Lord (laughs) so-and-so. Letting Alexander there kind of, squirm in his uncomfortable ways as he's always processing coming from his you know, poverty, impoverished background Caribbean. and not having the pedigree, the, the family name and kind of... Again, I mean, right there even is that these are the sorts of unrecorded things we can only speculate on, and yet are those fueling the very rivalry that is ultimately <laughs> dividing the country is George Washington is, you know, basically trying getting pulled two ways by two people he loves, respects in many different, you know, regards.
3: Yeah. And I think I think George can see the value of both of their visions. Where Alexander cannot see the value in Thomas's vision and Thomas cannot see the value in Alexander's, yes. but I think George running an army can see the value in a strong federal government that's well funded, but he's a farmer from Virginia. Exactly. So he can see the dream of Thomas's and you know he's so happy in that role. Surely he could relate to both of these visions. But
1: but no. that's always the genius of George Washington is that this is a man who knows how to he knows how to step back, get out of his own blinders and really envision, you know, other perspectives uh, to, to take them in. I mean yeah uh, maybe, maybe we're we're switching subjects here a little bit, but episode seventeen, where we talk about Georgian slavery mm, right. you know I mean this is the ultimate demonstration of his ability to and even if it does take an insanely long time if if we really think about what an incredible corner that is for any gentry Virginian raised on a plantation you know for him to turn the corner to any degree at all. And, and you know you don't see this in his neighbors <laughs> i mean he, he's right? basically hated by his neighbors i think that's so man it seems so foreign to us in the 21st century you, you look back and think oh well everyone must have loved george washington at the time and you know we see all, all the love for him sure but that he is basically he he's turned into in some ways the the worldly elite who's gone out elsewhere, you know, and and now he's come back, but he's rejected by his own because he's changed so much. He's so open to the world, to these other views. He's questioning the social norms, you know, so he's getting serious hate from his immediate neighbors. Even though Mount Vernon's a hopping place all the time with all sorts of people stopping in to hang out, they aren't the locals. He has no friends anywhere nearby. I mean, they basically see him as a Northern sellout. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that's a little strong. No. I I I feel no. like that's that's fair.
3: Yeah, I don't think so, and I think it's I think it's laudable that he is able to take a step back from the world he grew up in when so many other people couldn't and change his views on things. Yeah. And on yeah, on slavery specifically, it's it's kind of amazing.
1: Well, I would also say that it plays a major role in the success of his presidency and again, you can't get counterfactual doesn't really work that well. At least that's my take. But you know, in terms of the republic, the United States of America, that republic succeeding, his ability. Well, as Thomas Jefferson, right? We quoted him in one of the episodes saying, "You know, the North and South will hold on if they have you to hold on to." Right? Mm-hmm. It's not just because, of course, his background helps. Right? He's he's got the CV, and he is just charming as hell. We touched on that all the way back, and pff, I'm going to try and remember the number. Of the episode, but when he was taking over the Continental Army at Cambridge, Massachusetts, seventeen seventy five. So sure, George has this great pedigree, CV, etc. Uh, yeah, pedigree is not the word I'm really going for. CV, you know, resume. Sorry, I'm in academic talk. Resume, that's okay. Resume, not CV. Resume. We're going <laughs> to use the normal word. Sure, George has this resume going for him, but it's his ability to to see all these different perspectives and angles that no one else can wrap their head around right that i think is the the real success that's the key
3: yeah and to see the value that anyone could bring to the table no matter what their resume says about them no matter who they are on paper if you can see that someone from france would be just as helpful as someone from germany Mm -hmm. as someone from virginia
1: well and even to go back to alexander hamilton right i mean Sure. Alex has made himself when, when George snatches him up as an aide de camp during the war, George has made himself, uh, or George, <laughs> excuse me, Alexander has, I, and I would say made himself. This is a self-made for dude. sure. I mean, sure. He, he's getting assistance from people, but because he's so good at demonstrating his brilliance and his utility. Anyhow, as an artillery captain, I mean, for George to be like, yeah, let's take this kid from the Caribbean. I mean, so already one immigrant status. Right. Yes. Like that's a strike against him and he has no significant family. Right. And for George to say, yeah, let's he's capable. He's smart. His French is awesome. Let me, I'm going to bring him into my inner circle. This is, this is useful. And so I'm going to prioritize basically a, 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 a go with a meritocratic system. You know, I'm going to prioritize this this kid who has skills and talents and ability over, you know, someone from Virginia with the last name Lee. Right. Anyhow, I feel like I'm talking a lot. No,
2: y'all. <laughs> no this is the whole point. It's really, it's the traits of a good leader. I mean, that's a yeah. super sum up of what everything you guys just said, but somebody who can learn from the people around them and change according to the, and adapt according to the situation. We could be, you know, look at the past 17 episodes where we touch on George. How can you not see from the, the person at uh, at Fort Necessity, all the way to now, right? Clearly, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're clearly being apologists here for George, but um,
1: well, and while while we're getting our mad you know man crush on there, um, at least J- Josh and I, I won't say CL has a man crush. That would
3: I, I don't think I do have a man okay. crush on George. Yeah, I, 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 think I think that's, that's fair, fair to say. Okay, good,
1: good.
2: Oh, it's we definitely do. Yeah, There's no way around it. I mean, um, to end to end our talk on George, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about his death.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean Yeah. Well I was well, yeah, I was just thinking we should probably jump over to, to seventeen. And since we're on George, we may as well just keep it keep it Georgian it up. Yeah. I I,
2: I will say and this is a little tidbit for everybody listening, but recording the ending of seventeen was really emotional. Um I did
1: not see that coming. Yeah,
2: we, we really didn't see it coming. It was the script was written and we clearly saw what was going to be read on the podcast. But as we got to that, sorry, as Greg was reading it and we got to that part, um, it was pretty emotional.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which sounded kind of weird for some reason. No, no. Well,
1: I mean, you know, one of the things that I have been, well, geez, I would think anyone listening at this point, especially if they've been listening from the beginning, should know this by now. I mean, I'm very careful about, the research, you know, I have no problem showing the uh, the darker sides of, of of America's, you know, heroes. I mean, these these are people I consider my, you know, I consider heroes myself. Um, I actually think that's a strength. I I don't like my heroes to be inaccessible people who I don't actually feel like I can try to emulate because they're so much better than me. I think that's damaging personally. It's one of the things I love about being. You know being a historian is uh, going through the training process to really come to where i i look at documents in a very specific way and trying to parse my own feelings out from objective reality which of course you can't do perfectly right of course and anyone who says otherwise is just full of crap but you know you try to do that and i mean this across this podcast project i have definitely i've bonded with george i mean there's, there's just no two ways to put it. My respect for him has only skyrocketed. Um, not that I didn't know so much about him already and you know the, the main baseline, but as I've just been in his head reading his own personal letters and what other people have to say about him. You know I, I think that to me is, is really powerful reading the primary sources of the people that are surrounded by him on a day to day basis it makes it easier to suspend my 21st century views and to try and enter the 18th century, try and see things from that specific perspective and really realize, you know, the ways he's rising above uh, what, you know, the human, not all human feelings, right? I mean, he has a bad temper, he keeps it in check publicly, but privately, like Alexander Hamilton, right, was... Had enough of George basically,
2: laying, yeah,
1: blowing his lid, right. you know, letting his steam off on Alex. At least that was Alex's perspective. Um, but yeah, to 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 kill him. I mean, that, it kind of felt like experiencing that death with him, and maybe maybe that caught me off guard so much because, as as you know, we we strive to make this narrative driven uh, more so than when I'm writing a an academic article book where it's. It's a little snootier. Um, <laughs> right? It's a little right? denser. Yeah, denser. Um, the, the the intimacy isn't there, and this this I don't know. I guess bringing in a, just just a titch of art to try and liven the nonetheless very serious history that we're doing. It um, it made George feel very real to me.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's something that I can relate to. Yeah, yeah I was
2: just gonna say, Cielo, you should jump in right here. I know. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, just re- there was so much stuff that we couldn't put in. Oh, yeah. About his death, because it's, oh my goodness, it's so tragic. But just afterward, what happened to Martha, that um she closes up the room that they shared and doesn't take any of the furniture out of it, moves into another room in the house, sleeps in a different bed for the rest of her life, uses a different dresser. And I, I don't know, I don't know, I'm assuming she had servants go in and keep it clean and whatnot, but she was... It was too hard to watch her husband die there, she she couldn't live in that room anymore. Which to me is just speaks to their love and respect for one another, but just makes it so human of what it is to, to lose a spouse to a serious illness."
0: When Johann Rohl received the letter on Christmas Day 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. Oh, well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yeah.
3: Anyway, and, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it.
2: No, no. And
3: it's
1: <laughs> so apparently we're a bunch of saps. Uh, <laughs> no, but really, I mean, we get so into these people's heads the number of hours we pour into, you know, into doing this stuff. And,
2: and I would like to think that, although in some ways we may be a little more connected to George because of the amount of research that goes behind it, yeah. right? I've, I'm assuming the audience feels a somewhat similar experience, right? They've I hope co- so. They've connected with George over all these episodes and right. then we get to his death and it's a, it's a big deal. I mean, we label the whole episode Death of a Nation's Father. Yeah. Like and this isn't to downplay his death, but I I love the line and I'm going to I'm you guys can jump in here where he basically says I I, I die gosh, I should just look it up <laughs> cuz it's it's so good.
1: What he says to Dr. Craig.
3: Yes. Oh, he says I die hard?
2: Yes. Yeah. And uh I,
1: I, but but I don't. But yeah, I uh, don't remember off the top of my I head. Know, it's but it's to the effect of, but I I don't fear it. Something like that. Oh.
3: Let's see. I have it. It's I die hard, but I am not afraid to go.
2: Yes. Thank you.
3: Yeah.
2: Um gosh, I really want to get the quote in there, but um, the reason is I I, I sense relief in George in, oh, that, in that moment. Oh, I do too. This think of all the stuff he's done, getting up to this point. Not to mention the freaking last what day of bleeding. Ugh. Besides that, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, thank have
1: you. You ready to check
2: out too? I, I I really think that's what it was. I'm I'm, I'm assuming we don't have this documented, but you know, I'm sure he exchanged a nice farewell to Martha and everything. But then I think he uh, made his peace with the divine and wrapped it up, and he was ready to yeah. go.
1: My my own views on death changed a little bit. About what was that? Two and a half years ago, I think now, when my when my last grandparent, my grandfather died, and uh, he was ninety eight, so a lot older than George. But I remember visiting him. I, I made it a point to visit him it is fairly frequently, uh, though he lived out of state. And I really came to realize how lonely it was for him. He, the world he knew, no longer exists. And um, you know this isn't the case with George, but his his friends, and sure I'm his family, but you know I'm this I'm this kid who entered the world after he was in retirement for crying out loud. Um, just kind of realizing that you know perpetuating life. <laughs> don't get me wrong, this is not a death wish by any means, oh, right? Of course, but just realizing like, wow, no, y- there is a point where
3: you know.
2: I think there's a moment where you feel. I'm assuming clearly, but yeah, you feel like yeah, I've. I've done what I need to do, Yeah, and I'm, I'm tired, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. It,
3: it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. I think at my grandma's funeral very recently, there was a pretty similar feeling there, as, as you were describing, Greg.
4: Yeah.
3: Uh, my grandma had polio as a young woman and uh, never ran or danced again in her life. Mm. Wow. So she spent about 70 years of her life not being able to run or dance, and every single person at the funeral said, I can just see her dancing. I can see grandma dancing. And, you know, like you can imagine George being able to look back at the things that he's done with his life and say, I have fought the good fight, <laughs> and well, I'm, I'm and, ready to move on. And
1: I think he's frustrated with the fight, too. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. as he's reading the newspaper right, be- <laughs> right before all right, the sickness yeah. sets in. And, again, this is, you know, I guess you can see kind of one of my, my pet peeves is is that idea that people get of the founding father said A, B, C, whatever, but here he is reading through the paper, getting all pissed. James Monroe, right? an- another Revolutionary War veteran, an officer who served under George and will later go on to be president, president of the United, United States. States. Right? He's getting upset at jeez. Um, well, let's see. So it was Monroe and then uh, Madison, Madison, right? Because mm-hmm. Madison's supporting him and running for office. And you can just at least I I can picture George's uh, you know very pale complexion kind of turning red as he's fuming over these. Democratic Republicans. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that he just sees it as, as uh, having undermined him for so long. And, you know, he knows that there are problems that they still exist. Uh, we get that in his farewell address, but yeah, he's tired. He's, he is, as you said, see he fought the good fight and he is ready to check out and go meet the author of the universe as I think he would, he would view it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, we don't have much on his views on the afterlife, uh, but, he at least alluded to having some hope of the afterlife when his mother died. So, oh, that's true. You know, there's, um, again, you know, uh, another little nod to what his religious views may or may not have been. You know, and he likes so many of these other founding fathers. Uh, I guess I'm segueing a little bit that way again, <laughs> but it's not like they left behind some sort of affidavit to 21st century Americans. Here's a detailed. <laughs> You know analysis of what I believe on right. God, right, so, not know
3: who we were going to be
1: right, so you know we're we're connecting the dots from the evidences that have been left behind, and anyhow, as I think about his the loss of his his mother, you know i'm I'm sure he was having some sort of thoughts of like there's something more and all that. um why don't we talk about the death of the other nation's father? yeah Is I, that I, cool? I, no I yes. I
2: think that's <laughs> completely completely cool. Okay. Which Which I hope everybody enjoyed the sound effects in that episode.
3: They were so good, Josh. Yes.
1: Well done, sir. Thank you.
2: (laughs) That's my plug.
1: Yeah. Nothing like a good. Guillotine. Can I use the adjective good with guillotine? I don't.
2: Nothing like a good guillotine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure. I, I'm, <laughs> that sure, <doesn't> sound. I'm <laughs> sure the French uh, thought that same thing, though, when his head came rolling off and they. Uh, plenty well, of them did. Took yeah. that little dip of the finger and said, mmm. Oh my nice gosh. And salted. Well, right. Sa- well salted, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Bien salé. Yeah. Oof. So. Obviously, we are not going to get into the nitty gritty of the French Revolution. I mean, I guess I, we could go down that road if
2: we very well could.
3: If you want to talk a lot, Greg, while Josh and I listen, <laughs> we say, please lecture us on
2: the French Revolution.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we won't do that. But uh, you know, again with Louis the Sixteenth, we while we don't have the same, perhaps you know, we and we mean you as well, who's who's listening we don't have the history with Louis on a personal basis. Obviously there's plenty of history about Louis the 16th, but we don't have the personal history with him that we do with George. So there isn't quite that same emotional bond. And we did definitely want to kind of get in his head. And so.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I'll jump in real quick. I, I think we did a good job getting personal very quickly. Right. Within right. a,
1: what is it? An eight it's like minute? a
2: paragraph. It's an eight minute basically stint where we yeah. kill him. But yeah, I think we got personal in there because we talk about maybe some things that are going through his mind and yeah. talking about his son and his wife. And
1: now I think it's a it's a heartbreaking story. And you know, I mean, the, the French Revolution is. You know, we'll, we'll go down this road a little bit. I mean, it is different from the American Revolution. You know, they plenty of similarities, but also plenty of differences. I I'd, I'd say they're apples and oranges. You know, they're they're both fruit, but but that's it. <laughs> yeah, but but they're different fruit. You know, and and that's where you see. I guess you could say the Democratic-Republicans, you know, Tommy Jefferson's crowd, kind of seen more of the fact that, hey, this is all this is all fruit, you know? We're sister Republics and all that. Whereas uh, Alexander and, and his crowd, you know, they're, they're kind of going, no, 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 no. That's citrus. That's some citrus going on over there. We're not feeling that, yeah, right? We're, jo- we're Johnny Appleseeding it up in here. I know Johnny <laughs> Appleseed doesn't come yet, but, you know, y- you get my point. I mean, the, the regicide, right? killing of the king that um obviously the Americans fought against the crown, but they didn't go and behead mm-hmm. freaking George.
3: Right. Right. King George
1: to be clear, not George so, Washington.
3: I think I have a question about the killing of the king. So when I was doing some reading and doing some research about this, I read that there was this plot by some of the leaders of the revolution to spirit away King Louis and his family and get him somewhere safe and he can live romantically in exile and won't this be wonderful? And then when they realize, oh, if we do that, we're going to be the ones that die, never mind, we'll kill the king. I just wonder how many people really secretly thought this is a terrible, terrible idea, we should not be killing our king.
1: Yeah, and of course we can't ever completely answer that question, but, you know, we're getting to this phase. So, all right, I'll, I'll go into the French Revolution a little bit. The French Revolution, historians, we I think I might have even touched, touched on this in the episode. We, we divide it into two phases. There's the uh, bourgeoisie uh, phase, right, or liberal phase, as it's called. And then there's the radical phase. right? And, you know, this is something the American Revolution did not do. It, the, the French Revolution hits this point where those who are kind of riding the crest, the the top of the wave of the revolution, they um, they start turning on all these these boogeymen that they're seeing. Now, some of those boogeymen are are real; they are you know not in favor of the French Revolution, but um, some of these are also just more moderate people. And so, you know, you, you're you're kind of at that point. The liberal phase, you know, starts with. This call for a constitution, it's very much more along the lines of the American Revolution. You know, we're, we're talking about a constitution. We're not actually talking about a change in the power structure. You know, the elites in America before the revolution, they're still the elites, elites after yeah. the revolution. Right. And And this is where the American Revolution is really different from most revolutions around the world. I think sometimes Americans get a false sense of how revolutions work. Because we look at ours and we think, oh, right, revolutions. That's where, you know, things get more awesome. <laughs> no, no, more often what happens is society's completely upended. Uh, you get a power vacuum. Lots of people die. Yeah, lots of people die. And s- often the lowest common denominator who's willing to do the worst things seizes power.
2: And, and then it goes right back to how it was before.
1: If not worse. Yeah. So can you tell I'm not necessarily a fan of revolution by and large? Um, reform is usually the way to go. right? And, you know, France is starting this cycle where where they kind of, they lose control, which most revolutions do. They, they're not able to hold on to this idea of just making a constitution. We're going to let some people vote. It's going to be awesome. Instead, it gives way to, you know, we're, we're going to fix all of these wrongs and we're going to fix them all at the same time. We're going to fix them all right now. And that's how we end up with, We're going to kill the king because, you know, we're we're getting rid of monarchy. And then it's very much a slippery slope that they go down. I mean, slippery with blood. Thousands, countless thousands of French are being executed.
3: For disagreeing, right?
1: Yeah. I I mean, some of the leaders, uh, Danton is is a prime example. Uh, He's a leader during the liberal phase. And then as they go into the radical phase, and don't get me wrong, Danton is down with chopping off some heads, okay? But as they start winning uh, some of their wars, uh, some of their wars. Remember, France is at war with, like, everyone and their mom at the same freaking time. Some of the wars. Yeah.
4: Didn't they declare war
3: on, like, all monarchies as a part of this radical phase?
1: Basically, yeah. And so they're just, and, you know, can can we just pause, though, in a way, kind of mad respect? France is winning, (laughs)
3: <laughs> they're, yeah.
1: They're fighting like all of Europe and winning. Who does that?
2: Yeah, despite like the common trope, right, of that France and white flag always surrendering. It's
1: true. Yeah, you know, that that grows. I I I'm 90% sure on this. I, and I just met that statistic, but I'm pretty sure that just comes out of World War 2 it's where Americans got the perception that, Oh, the French suck. Cause look, we had to go bail them out. Right. You know? Um, and
2: uh, look, at, uh, look at some history.
1: Exactly. I mean, don't there's, create there's, a reason, empire overnight. there's a reason French is spoken on every continent, uh, around the world. The, the French have done their fair share of, um, conquering, of beating people on, on the battlefield. Not nece- necessarily saying that is a good thing, right but yeah, they, they don't, they don't suck at fighting <laughs> at sending armies to kill people. At any rate, where were we before we went down that route? Sorry, no, it's cool. Um, oh, right, just the the radicalness, right? So, Danton, um, he, uh, yeah, he gets executed. A lot of leaders like him who who start kind of saying, "Hey, guys, maybe maybe we can chill out on the executing." Then other leaders who are more radical, as we're kind of going to the lowest common denominator. Uh, Robespierre, Robespierre mm-hmm. makes me feel a little mm-hmm. more comfortable there. Uh, he he gets an, He becomes basically the dictator, if you will, at, at the top of this small committee of public safety. And, you know, essentially anyone who just looks at the guy wrong, obviously I'm being slightly hyperbolic, but only just, you look at Robespierre wrong, you're not going to be looking at anything because your head's going to be detached within, you know, 72 hours. So these great leaders from the early liberal phase, they're getting executed. And finally we have what's called the Thermidorian Reaction, I touch on that. I doubt anyone's gonna remember. I think I have, might have used the phrase in uh in the last I don't know, in a episode. <laughs> yeah. Um uh anyhow, that's when the people are like, you know what, Robespierre, this dude sucks. He's the worst. You know what? Let's kill him. Mm. So he gets guillotined and after that everyone kind of like looks around and sort Hey, of we like cruise. this. Yeah, hey, <laughs> hey, you know what's awesome? Not guillotine everybody. Right. Maybe, maybe we'll still have a population if we stop doing that. So they stopped doing that, mm. and then we get to the directory, right? With Talleyrand, who is <laughs>
3: coming a up. Snake.
1: Oh, right, right, right. That's in the next episode. Say, he's he's coming. My bad. You'll, my
2: bad. You'll, I'll you'll get introduced back. to him. Yeah. Um, while we're on this kind of French tangent, I actually did have another question, and it's a little snippet. It's just a sentence we put in the episode, but uh, sure. Um, talking about uh, Louis' son, Louis Charles, right? Shah. Char. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I mm-hmm. can't do the. <laughs> The That's all right, French sir. pronunciation oh, there. Come but, on, Josh. Yeah. <clears throat> and I wouldn't even try to do it in Spanish either. Um, <laughs> but you we mentioned this little sentence that uh he's going to die at the hands of jailers when he's ten. So, so is that is I, it's a brief thing, obviously we didn't research into it. Figured that you would know, like, did he is he in jail? Like, wow! What, what's well, going yeah. On there? So,
1: I mean, you, even as Louis XVI is incarcerated during the Revolution, his family is too. They start keeping him separately from his family. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of his life, even as he's you know kept in jail, he's well in, in jail. I mean, you know, up in the up in the penthouse ish ish. Um, he so he he's, he's separate from his family, um, and you know, this little six year old boy he's also incarcerated and he's going to be incarcerated the basically the rest of his life and being, you know, a claimant to the throne, even as France considers itself a republic. This is something that happens when a monarchy turns republic. It changes its regime. There's always the fear that the kid who has the claim to the throne
2: is going to rise up again.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. He could go raise an army. He could get a foreign army. I mean, look, we see all these other European countries who are happy to descend on France because they're saying, look, we don't want our subjects to go get this crazy idea that they should have self-determination and rights and vote and all that nonsense.
3: Right. right. Yeah.
1: So you know that Austria, Prussia, Britain, Spain, all these monarchies, they'd be happy to throw in with the little six-year-old boy and say, sure, we'll put you back on or back on you. We'll get you on your throne. You got it. So that's where he's going to be, or it was, you know, mistreated. And you know he doesn't die of this mistreatment. Um, it's, uh, I, I want to say it was tuberculosis.
3: Yeah. It's an illness. Couldn't yeah. tell you which one.
1: Um, but
2: during his imprisonment yeah. he's mistreated
1: yeah and then you know dies at 10 his body is very poorly you know on un- i want to say it was an unmarked grave um they do eventually later uh track down his heart the i want to say it was sorry I'm, I'm a little bit into speculative not speculative just you know things i read you know years ago as a phd student and it, is it coming back to me perfectly accurately i believe the surgeon who did his autopsy uh saved his heart like mm. kept it like separate. Preserved it yeah kind of uh one that's was that something of a tradition i'm not going to comment because you, you guys know how i am if i'm not sure i don't right so uh at any rate he saves the heart it it's presented later to the restored uh, bourbon. So the family, right? The monarchy. It's it's the Bourbons, right? Like, like the whiskey, right? right? Yes, the Bourbons. Um, bourbon. Again, I feel better. So it's given to to the restored monarchy because that's what France is going to do after all this revolution business and Napoleon coming coming through. They're going to be like, oh, let's go back to the Bourbons. They weren't that bad after all. And they doubt that it's a real. That's the real thing. I mean, you know, think about it powerful monarchies they get this sort of crap all the time someone who wants to claim that they're the long lost blah 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 right. you probably heard the story of anastasia anastasia with, yeah. right yes with the that was
3: exactly who i was thinking of <laughs> exactly
1: so they doubt it but later in the 20th century when that whole dna business comes along and it's tested against uh, descendants of the royal family it's confirmed it is actually his heart so it is still preserved
2: today wow yeah i did why not do know I that kn- well why do i know this i, I mean uh, as i'm be- telling you this because your like your specialty is french history <laughs> yeah well um we should probably start to wrap up we're sure, creeping sure. up on an hour here
1: my how the time flies yes it does okay um any uh anything from these two episodes that you think geez we definitely need to. Uh,
2: we definitely hit some big I mean, broad yeah areas. i got my
3: questions answered i did too
2: well hey kids that's what because <laughs> we're here for ourselves um no we really uh we hope you guys enjoyed this we know it
1: was- hey dude hold on one thing i just want to mention real quick because i don't think we got this in there oh yeah right uh whiskey rebellion we did not talk about we that. Did not just not talk about the whiskey just rebellion. just the one thing i want to say um i believe cl pointed this out largest army George Washington ever actually personally leads, right?
3: Oh, yes. Ironically, Mr.
1: Commander-in-Chief of the whole Continental Army through the Revolution. And the biggest army he ever leads is actually during the Whiskey Rebellion, during his presidency. he
3: leads himself across the country. Yeah, over 12,000 guys. It's crazy.
1: Right. Anyhow, sorry, just footnote. There you go. That's uh, fun, fun facts that don't make the script, but come on.
2: But no, uh, George is a badass <laughs> continually.
1: <laughs> all right. Th- th- this is something that you can look forward to with, uh, th- this sort of analysis looking back on previous episodes. If you're enjoying this, just go to history. That doesn't suck.com. And you know, we've got all the icons top right corner, I think. Yep. Right. It'll hook you up with all things history. That all the, doesn't all suck. the
2: social media.
1: Oh, that's right.
2: And, uh, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't say how grateful we were. Thank you for the support. Yes.
1: Yes. Thank you. We we really do um I mean we, we notice. It. It's yeah, I mean again, it, I still think often about <laughs> we're releasing the first episode and just thinking who is even going to listen? And you definitely are. So So thank you. Yeah. Ciel any last words?
3: I'll just reiterate the thanks. It's pretty exciting to be a part of this and to watch it grow. So, yeah.
1: Wow. Okay, guys. Join me in two weeks where we'll get back to telling a story. History That Doesn't Suck is created and hosted by me, Greg Jackson. Special guest, Professor Ben Sawyer. Production by Airship. Sound design by Molly Bach. Theme music composed by Greg Jackson. Arrangement and additional composition by Lindsey Graham of Airship. HTDS is supported by fans at patreon.com forward slash history that doesn't suck. My gratitude to your kind souls providing funding to help us keep going. Thank you. And a special thanks to our patrons whose monthly gift puts them at producer status. Anthony Pizzullo. Art Lane, Beth M. Chris Jansen, Bev Hawkins, Bill Thompson, Bob Drazovich, Brad Herman, Brian Goodson, Carrie Begoli, Charles and Shirley Clendendendon, Chris Mendoza, Christopher McBride, Christopher Merchant, Christopher Pullman, Dane Polson, David Aubrey, David DeFazio, David Rifkin, Denke, Durante Spencer, Donald Moore, Ernie Lowe, Gareth Griffin, Henry Brunges, Jacob McDaniel, Jake Gilbreth, James Black, Jamie McCreary, Jeffrey Moots, Jennifer Magnolia, Jessica Popic, Joe Dobis, Joel Kerr, John Frugal-Dougal, John Booby, John Keller, John Oliveros, John Wiglevich, John Schaefer, John Schaff, Jordan Corbett, Justin M. Spriggs, Karen Bartholomew, Kim R., Kyle Decker, Lawrence Neubauer, Linda Cunningham, Mark Ellis, Mark Price, Matthew Mitchell, Matthew Simmons, Melanie Jan, Meg Sikender, Noah Hoff, Paul Goinger, Reese Humphries-Wadsworth, Rick Brown, Sarah Traywick. S.B. Wave, Sean Peppard, Sharon Thieson, Sean Baines, The Creepy Girl, Tisha Black, and Zach Jackson. Join me in two weeks where I'd like to tell you a story.